Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is personal trainer, ultra runner, and nutrition coach, Will Franz. This conversation is more of a, it truly is a conversation. And we're talking today about depression, mental health, just the stuff in life that you may go through and how to handle it when it comes your way. Of course, of course, this is not substitute for professional medical advice, but this is Will and I talking about our experience dealing with depression as runners, as coaches in ourselves and in others, and just how to find ways to best support your mental health, your training as you go through your different phases of life. Now I will say, This episode does contain profanity, so if that is an issue for you, it is minor. I'd say it's PG-13, but I do want to let you know that in case you are listening to this with impressionable small children nearby. And of course, if you are in crisis and need somebody to talk to, in the United States, you can call 988, which is the crisis lifeline to help you if you need help. Will Franz, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Nice to be here, Elizabeth. So before we get started about our peek behind the curtain into the minds of coaches, mental health, and more, go ahead and tell us about yourself. How'd you become a runner and how'd you end up doing what you do today? Oh, it's a, that's a weird answer, very honestly. Um, I've played sports my whole life. So I was a like multi-sport athlete from the age of, I don't know, six or whenever your parents shove you in little league or soccer or whatever, um, five. And I hated running like forever until very recently, for being honest. Um, it was a means to an end to like get better at other sports, but it was just, I don't have any really good associations with actually running past like two years ago. It was either punishment from coaches like the old school toughness training, like run till you throw up to get harder or uh, suicides on a football field or like just trying to eke out <laughs> a little more speed so that I could be good at the sport I was trying to play. Or like the big one for me is like I was I was kind of a fat teenager and I like didn't like that. So I put in a lot of time on the treadmill to make that change and Nothing positive was associated with running until a couple of years ago. I've been a personal trainer and nutrition coach and whatever for three, four years now. And I kind of fell backwards into working with runners. I've been working at this gym and somebody hired me to help them get ready to climb Everest. And I did really well in his prep and he he made it and he got back down and he did a really good job and there's no real reason why I would be good at working with endurance athletes but it all just made sense and then my ex's dad is an ultra runner so I like met some people in this community and helped them like kind of off the cuff with their nutrition and training 
and it just all continued to make sense. So I just kind of fell into working with runners. And as a result, I was like, well, if I'm going to train runners, I should probably learn what it's like to run. So the past like year, year and a half has been this quest to figure out how to run so I could do my job better. And in the, in the process, I'm in love with it. Like I'm going to run a 50 mile race in a month. But yeah, so it's been a, not the standard trajectory, but good nonetheless. And that's why I asked that question. Cause I feel like there are a lot of people in this sport who have this story of, I hated it. And then something happened and I stumbled into this and something in my brain just clicked. And I love this. I love the sport, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really common. Total aside, um, how how does one train to climb Everest? What did you focus on with this client? <laughs> so, <laughs> so to be like blunt, I didn't do his training plan. He bought one off and like me and his guide who is going to be taking him up the mountain, like tweaked it along the way it is just tons of hiking like you're gonna put a pack on and you're gonna hike for four or six hours at a time um some of your longer ones might be a full day and thankfully like live in utah i'm staring at like a four thousand foot mountain face in front of me so he just like went up provo canyon and did a ton of hiking with a full pack on and that's most of the training and then the nutrition was like what i was really helping him with because i'm good at that and i helped him like make sure he's getting enough protein for recovery and fueling and all of that stuff to make sure he was he was getting there and yeah taught him how to deal with it on the mountain when you like can't really figure out what you're eating it's like make sure this is how we're how you're gonna get to get to the top when your brain's literally trying to escape your skull it's kind of a weird balance so yeah that's kind of it the photos from the top of everest where he's literally like it looks like the entire mountain is above the clouds. And you're just like, I don't understand what I'm looking at here. Like he's on a 45 degree angle, his shadow, and then what must be a couple thousand feet of mountain above an entire cloud range. It's like he's in a plane, but I can see his feet. I don't understand. It's really cool. Fun little, totally <laughs> off topic conversation. Because <laughs> yeah. um, today, I mean, I want to talk and I a lot of, so I have a lot of conversation on this podcast about like, here's the expert, here are my questions. Let me ask you my questions and you give me the answers. And then I have other conversations that are truly like, it's, I think it's really important for us to talk about this and share our experience. And I want to talk today, um, about as a person who's dealt with depression, basically my entire life, I know that I'm not alone and how that, impacts, influences, like my relationship with exercise, with running, with my body, with food. Um, and like, just, just talk about it. Cause I know that you have experience in that too. I know that we oh, both yeah. work with clients who experience depression, anxiety, like we're all human. And I think it's really easy, especially to, in this age of social media, go on and see everybody look like they're having the best, happiest time in the whole wide world all the time. And you are struggling and you don't, understand why you're the only one and you are not the only one just nobody else is really talking about it yeah absolutely true and it's exhausting and uh i've like you dealt with depression for longer than i knew it was really a thing um my dad had it like tired of me growing up and you know it was uh 
what did he have? He had manic depressive disorder, which now has been like recategorized to like bipolar. So it wouldn't be the major one where he was like one, he didn't have like two week manic episodes, right? But it was definitely an up and down. I'm probably more on the like major depressive order side um, in combination with recent discovery of like some variety of neurodivergence and like all of that like comes together to like be a very weird space to interact with the outer world like you don't quite ever know how you fit or what you're doing and when you look at social media it's it's hard man because like everybody posts their their good stuff and i'm guilty of it as much as the next person i try to keep a balance but honestly i think some of it is i'm not as good as i'd like to be because when i'm depressed i'm not <laughs> i'm not on social media like i am in in bed or something watching bob's burgers and so my first thought is not like let's create a let's create a TikTok and talk about how much depression sucks so it's one of those like weird things even if you wanted to share as much of it as you could i can't like i'm i'm too in the hole i think there's also as somebody who in the same way, like sometimes like it does ebb and flow. There are basically, there have been times in my life where it's been like major depressive disorder. Mm. Um, and I've talked before, like I, I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for five years. And obviously when I was still drinking and I had to struggle with an eating disorder, like there's a whole bunch wrapped up in all of that too. Right. But the, (laughs) but the depression is really like where it all started and, you know, going through that, it really is that ebb and flow. Like when you're in it, you just don't care. And even if, like you said, I were inspired to like make, you know, content create in a major depressive episode, it would be very boring. It would be like, I don't feel anything. Nothing matters. The world sucks. Rinse and repeat, you know, and like yeah. eventually it just the clouds sort of lift and you get out of it. But, you know. <laughs> I feel like one of the reasons we don't talk about it so much is because especially when we're going through these episodes, it feels like it's such a burden. Like, why would I burden you with how I'm feeling when you can't do anything about it? Right. Cause yes. we're not looking like, I'm not looking to, for anybody to like drag me out of it, you know? So yeah. it's like, you know, I, like, I just want to tell you I'm not okay. And I, I'm recording this right now. Like I'm actually in a really good place right now. So this is not contemporaneous. Like I'm actually good, but like, <laughs> When you're not okay, you're not looking for somebody to come fix you. You just want to let somebody know that like, hey, I'm not okay. Like, are you okay with that? Because I'm not, I'm not okay. Yeah, it's like multifactorial, right? And it's really hard to have that conversation sometimes because there's so much stuff tied up with that, you know, approach. You're right. One is I don't need you to fix things. Um there was a quote from, did you ever watch Parks and Recreation? Yes. Cool. Uh, there was a, something that Retta told um, the very high strung guy whose name I cannot remember who dated Anne for a while, um, Rob Lowe. Uh, he was trying to fix all of Anne's problems and Retta's like, sometimes you just need to say that sucks and move on. And that change the way I interact with a lot of people instead of trying to fix all the problems. Now I just say that sucks and see if that's all people want. And that is a lot of the time, if someone's kind of depressed and they've done it, dealt with it for a long time and they know the ebbs and flows, like that's all they need, man. They just need you to be like, that sucks and talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> There's really not much else to do with it. Yeah. Like that sucks. Can I do anything? 
Maybe wanna, no, maybe yes. Do you, you want know, a share cookie? My net- <laughs> you want a cookie? You want a pizza? You want to share my Netflix password? You know? Um, and this is also tough too, I feel like as, as athletes, as people who, you know, exercise, especially running, since this is a running podcast, yeah, you know, it's something that is such an integral part of many people's lives. And I know a lot of people who explicitly say running is part of my mental health management. And I think it's amazing because it's definitely a part of mine. But I also know some people who, I don't know if they're joking or not. Like when they say like, oh, but running is my therapy. Like running is what keeps me sane. And I, I feel like there is a line where running shouldn't be the only thing in your life that's keeping you together because something can happen by freak accident or you step off a curb and twist your ankle or you end up with an overuse injury, whatever it is that maybe takes you out of running for a couple of months. And you're, if you're only relying on running or other forms of exercise to keep you out of depression, um, that's not a very robust safety net. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if for nothing else, like what do you do during your taper? Do you fall apart? Like they some people do. And they, and they <laughs> don't take time off after their races, which is another issue. <laughs> Somebody just made a post on this on social media, on Instagram. And I saw you liked it. It's like, I thought of our last conversation and I was like, this feels like, oh yeah, Elizabeth like this. So somebody is like, if you can't take more than the day off after your marathon because you need running, we probably need some other stuff in your life. And I was like, yeah, probably. That's a a fair assessment because you're right. It's just not that robust. Things happen. And as someone who has managed so much of my mental health through activity of one way or another, like that is really hard sometimes. Like, you need other strategies and when they're not there, it's really a difficult thing. How do you manage your approach to staying active when you're feeling kind of shitty? Cause there are different levels, right? There are the times when you can like kind of, you, you get your shoes on, you do it anyways, and you do feel a little bit better afterwards. But then there are some times when you got to adjust, you got to cut it short. Maybe you, you know, take a break. You know, how do you, what are your different kind of strategies for, figuring out what the day is going to look like depending on how you feel. Yeah, that's a great question. I honestly wish I had a better answer for you. Um, I I mean, I'll tell you that after years of dealing with this and other things and building systems of discipline one way or the other, historically, I will deal with mental health. But if nothing else, I will go do really heavy deadlifts because it tends to help. And I can almost always make myself stand in front of a bar and pick it up. Um, if for no other reason, it just doesn't take that long. But the problem sometimes is that if you have other goals, that gets <laughs> conflicting. Like if you have a big weekend or a race coming up and that hits just prior, then I can't go pick that up or I'm going to like ruin my entire progress. And that actually is an issue. So a lot of the time I will like, take the take the fall on the day or admit that maybe it's a pizza day um i have a couple friends that i talk to which i think we underappreciate like power to everybody who goes and gets therapy and can afford it and makes that work but i also want to say like we should try to develop some kind of friend group 
that is there for you and you should if you feel comfortable being there like be there for that for some people as well because like that's what we did for centuries right like you just had people you're like today sucks and you're like i get it today kind of (laughs) sucks and then if you're able to have that conversation it's really helpful like i have a very good friend who will probably not listen to this um and she and i like both had our dads die like kind of young and proportional in our life like hers was 16 mine was 26 and like there is times when that comes up in your life and like we're there to chat about that in case you need to be because there's not many other people in my life that can help me process whatever is happening there so like having people in your life that can help you do stuff like that is super useful yeah. And that's, that's, I think goes back to the, you know, your friends care about you. They want to know, <laughs> even if it's just reaching out and saying like, Hey, yeah. so I want to let you know, I'm kind of feeling bad today. Um, and I think most people who have been, I mean, most people at this point, I feel like in the past, you know, three years, definitely, but just the past kind of couple decades in general, everybody's probably gone through something, right? I think we oh, all yeah. have a lot more shared experience now and just talking about it. Um, but for me, I, you know, if you can get out the door and I talk about this a lot when in the whole, like, you know, if you're not feeling motivated to run, it's important to keep the habit and just get out the door and get through that first mile and then reassess. And that's basically the strategy that I use for when I like really just don't feel like running. I know it'll probably make me feel better if I, if I just get out the door, like I just try to turn the brain off, put the shoes on, just start running. Usually I can then keep going. And there's so much I feel like with depression and even with anxiety, like there's a lot of just kind of really similar issues um, that we're, you know, we can face and that we can deal with it's almost like the activation energy to like start the thing that is sometimes the insurmountable obstacle. Like once we're going, once we're, once we're, you know, an object in motion stays in motion, right? It's just like, how do we, how do we get ourselves into motion? That can be the hardest thing sometimes. So that, that's my threshold. It's like, if I can just get out the door, like usually it'll turn out okay. And then of course, you know, you, if it's supposed to be a speed workout, sometimes it actually makes me feel better because I get to you know, run out some of the, the anger or just push. And sometimes I have no energy for speed, even though it's supposed to be a workout. So it's all easy effort. You know, there's ways to like be gentle with yourself. And I feel like for a lot of people who have that really all or nothing or like, or super type A personality, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. Learning how to find the shades of gray and to find that, you know, good enough is good enough is really important when you're trying to stay consistent and just, you know, keep yourself upright. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And it's one of those things when you understand a little bit about how neurotransmitter works and how your brains works and everything, like getting out the door is the dopamine drive. <laughs> and a lot, of, it's all it's meant to do, really. It's It doesn't do much else other than like get the flywheel moving. So a long time ago, I kind of learned I need to set in habits or set habits in place to skirt that, I guess, for lack of a better term, because it's not there a lot. Um, 
it's there really hard when it's there and then it just disappears for a really long time. So like having these discipline systems set in where it's like, you're going to go do a thing today because that's what you do. <laughs> and as soon as I get out there, it often is better. And the part of that is like being allowed, for lack of a better term, to call it if you need to call it. Like I really like um, BJ Fogg's system for habit creation, which he wrote a book called Tiny Habits. And anybody who hasn't read it should, if you're trying to make changes, it's super useful. But one of the things he says is that your habit should take almost like no effort to do or get going, right? And that's kind of how I make this. And then he he calls them tiny habits because it's literally like if you want to create an exercise habit, one push-up counts. And if you do that, you win. <laughs> and as you try to get stronger, um, you might be moving more towards like 50 or 100 push-ups or whatever your exercise may be, but the habit is still the one push-up. It never The habit never gets bigger. And that makes it really easy to win the habit. And I kind of lived my life that way prior to reading his book. It's like, if I can get out the door, <laughs> I've won the thing. Because most of the time, that's all it takes. It doesn't take a lot more. I get out the door, and usually I'm out there anyway with all my stuff on. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> but the getting out the door is often the most difficult part. And it's true for a lot of people. And that's how it is for running sometimes. And sometimes that does mean that a like eight mile run turns into about 500 feet, but that happens like once every two years or whatever the condition would be. Whereas like most of the time it means I go for at least six. So it's really worth the trade. I think that's such a fascinating um, perspective. I haven't read the book, but I'm definitely going to add it to the list. There's definitely... I feel like, especially when we're, how do I put this? Like when we're, when we're trying to continually overcome like these, I don't want to call them like perceived failures, right? Like, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep my routine together. You know, I, I failed. Um, there's a lot of people setting themselves up to fail, purely because they're they're um uh misplaced belief in how much they can actually do <laughs> i really appreciate how, I your phrasing I for that it's very polite delicately yeah. put that um but this is i mean i feel like i see this with a lot of people and i think we talked about this on other podcasts before where it's you know when you start obviously in the principles of training as a runner one of the things you talk about is don't do too much too quickly you're going to get injured but not even that, it's that if you expect that you'll be able to go from doing nothing to doing like 14 sessions per week and changing your diet and changing your sleep habits, like that's not gonna, that's not realistic. Like, so then if you're expecting, oh, I'm going to come off the couch and do five days of running and three days of strength training and I'll do mobility, I'll do foam rolling, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that. Like you aren't going to do that. Like you are, that's not a sustainable way to make change. Like you're not, and then you're going to feel bad about yeah. it. And then, and then for some people, like for me, sometimes when I'm trying to pull, like I get overly ambitious and then it's like, well, now I feel really bad about myself because I couldn't do this thing, which was never sustainable in the first place. And now I'm in a spiral. Right. So it's kind of like, this is self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I actually did a whole like 
post or two or podcast actually on this topic very recently, like last week. And <laughs> it was... It was spurred because I made some like kind of flippant TikTok video after a day in the gym because I work in person too. And I got a response that was well-intentioned, but not super helpful as someone who like coaches a bunch of people. And so I decided to like talk about it for a really long time. Like the biggest reason I see people have failure is because they like rely too much on motivation. Like they get so stoked so they'll come in and they want to pursue something and they're like i'm ready to go let's sign up five days a week i want to get training and we're going to do this every morning at like 5 a.m and i often like talk them back i'm like you should maybe do two (laughs) like you are literally doing nothing now and you want to go from couch time seven days a week to high intensity exercise five days a week that is only going to lead to like very quick burnout and probably injury, but very likely, if nothing else, burnout. So let's pick a thing that you can do really regularly. <laughs> like this is just, it seems to be a better thing. And I think the guaranteed success and appreciation of wins along the way are things we just don't care enough about. Like set the big goal, set the thing that like, I want to run 50 miles and lose 100 pounds, whatever your thing is. I love that. But every, like, every mile you get over your last PR is still a PR, man. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. Um, You don't need to hit that in some obscure, like, random amount of time to mean that you're a good person, right? Like, it's still, all of these wins are still wins. And it's the same with, like, starting in a place that's really appropriate for you, it helps avoid burnout. And my biggest example for this in my daily is like push-ups. We all have this like weird relationship with push-ups when we're younger because, you know, we do them when we weigh 30 pounds when we're like five years old. <laughs> and then we don't do them again until we're adults. And a push-up's hard. It's really hard. It's like you're pressing 80% of your body with nothing, your, nothing other than your chest. And like if I were going to go do a bench press... That means I'm basically benching 150 pounds. And that's not that's not my starting weight on bench. Like let's just that's not my warm-up weight. So like expecting myself to just go knock out a bunch of push-ups without ever thinking about it seems a little silly. And I think that's kind of true for all of our goals. Take that initial step and the wins along the way, and that's how you're actually gonna get to the big one. If you skip those, you're just gonna get burnt out and tired. Something I I also see a lot is the, um, not only just the, like you said, basically like being so reliant on motivation in the beginning, motivation comes and goes, but also that, you know, your relationship with the sport, with yourself, with what you're trying to do and like your general mood and the demands that go are on your life and your time will ebb and flow. And like the only constant we have is change. So, you know, if you're going through a really great period and everything's clicking and you're feeling really good, like that's awesome. And I don't want to be a downer here, but that's not going to be like that forever. Yeah. And I talk about this in a lot in our, in race prepping with my athletes, we talk, especially, you know, planning for building the toolbox. Like how do we plan to deal with rough patches in the race? And I tell them, um, 
it's not that if you get a rough patch, it's when you get a rough patch in your race and you might get more than one. And Hey, guess what? If you go from start to finish with zero rough patches, congratulations. That's amazing. But most of you are going to have at least one rough patch during your race. And when it arrives, I don't want you to be concerned because that's a normal part of racing. And I feel like life is the exact same way. Like rough patches are going to happen. It's a normal part of life. Don't freak out. <laughs> Do you have tools in your toolbox that can help you get through it? Is it a long one? Is it a short one? You know, let's just let's just just embrace it and say, I'm here now. What can I do? Absolutely. Like I'm I know this is in other sports. I don't know how much it's in like the marathoning community, but the ultra running community uses the term pain cave a lot. It's just a well appreciated living space. And Jeff Winchester told me at one point, like in he's one of the hosts of the Ultra Running Guys podcast. He's like, you're gonna suffer in an ultra. Like it's gonna happen. And the worst part is when you aren't planning for it to happen. So just go into it expecting part of it to suck. And then when it sucks, it's not gonna suck as bad because you'll at least have been expecting it. It's like, yeah, that sounds about right, man. Like I think a thing we often forget about endurance sports is you are doing something, the same thing, for hours at a time. And I don't care how much you love most things in your life. If you were doing the exact same thing straight for hours at a time, you're probably going to hit a lull. Think about your job. Like, I don't care how much you love your job. If you have like 12 back-to-back hours of your job, there's going to be a point when you're a little less invested than others. And if you're doing that while also kind of beating the crap out of your body, you might get a little sad. (laughs) And I, I think there's something interestingly unique about endurance sports, especially ultra endurance, I think attracting people who are looking for that kind of next level suffering, (laughs) to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. You know, nobody runs a marathon or an ultra marathon because they think it's going to be, you know, sunshine and roses the whole time. But I think that most people don't understand that, you know, in your normal training life, it's also not supposed to feel amazing all the time, no matter what. Like you're going to have runs that just feel crappy and that has nothing to do with you as a person or your ability as a runner. But that's just how things go. Same with your mood. Like you can't let little things you can't turn molehills into mountains because you're going to have bad runs. And if a bad run is all that it takes to set you off into some sort of spiral, like we need a little perspective here. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that should not be the thing that like sends you down the rabbit hole of whatever because they're going to happen. It's guaranteed. And so I know that as coaches, especially like, you know, we do everything we can to support our clients. And as a coach you know, we are going to work with people who are actively dealing with depression or anxiety or just extreme life stress, who are going through grief or who are just whatever it is, having a hard time. And, you know, what are your strategies as a coach for helping people understand where their current capacity is for training, no matter what they're telling you their current capacity for training is. Cause I feel like, again, go back to the overestimation of what we're capable of. I'm just trying to make it sustainable. Sure. I mean, I think some of that's really hard. I mean, I can look at your training data, right? And no matter what you're telling me, sometimes that doesn't lie. Like if you're a, 
if you typically run seven minute miles and you have multiple days in a row where you're running 13s something's up um but that aside like i try to be really open with all of my athletes who i coach they know that i struggle sometimes um i have a like completely open text policy where my phone's on me anyway if you need something text me um if it's gonna involve a phone call then that's a little more involved but like as far as a text like shoot me a message and then i try to i don't know i'm not a huge fan of the word empower because it feels like i'm giving someone else power but i feel like that's often the place that we're in whereas like so like i try to empower and coach people to a place where they almost run their own training to some degree like if you look at some of the best in the world, I was just listening to an interview with Courtney DeWalter, who is like the best ultra runner, period. Um, save maybe like Killian and Jim, right? So like top three um, overall total. And she is like every day she wakes up, she has her coffee and that is where she coaches herself. And that is where she decides what her, what her day is going to be. Like she has a general thing, but she like sits there with her coffee and has a check-in moment with herself of like, okay, this is what I can handle today. And that is kind of where we all need to be to some degree if we're going to be successful in our endeavors. And it's not to say you need to do all the stuff yourself, right? Like I... I have a job because like I want to take some of that off of people's shoulders and like I want to help and not everybody needs to like learn <laughs> an asinine amount of running physiology and all these things. But at the end of the day, like I can't make that choice for you. I don't know what you feel like. And this is a thing I tell all of my athletes across the board is like you are an adult. And for that matter, like since the age of six, you have basically made the realize that you have a choice right like i hate hearing people say that you can't because it's bullshit like if you want to do something you will there are just consequences to those actions so like when i train someone who has an eating disorder it's like i can't make that choice for you every time but like on one hand you get to get better at your sport and on the other hand you get to feed your eating disorder. And that's kind of it. Like one of those things might serve you better in the moment. One of them might serve you better in the long run. I don't judge you for it, but like these are the outcomes of these choices. And you're an adult and you get to make that choice. And I've done that for a very long time. And it is very validating. Steve Magnus just put out this book on um, toughness. And he confirms that like, that's actually the way to build toughness in people is to like coach them <laughs> towards that choice, the ability to make that choice. Cause that's what you need. You can't, I'm not, I don't live next to my athletes. I don't, I don't live in their house. I don't like run with them. Nobody wants that. I'm probably slower than half of them anyway. Like <laughs> they have to be able to make the choice in the moment of like, Oh, my Achilles feels weird. Or, Oh, that, that bone that I had a stress fracture in last year, that metatarsal is like not, good it's like you need to decide if that's okay and i think that's kind of where we need to be is like developing that space of choice 
First of all, I cannot tell you what a baller move it is that Courtney DeWalter coaches herself. Right, though? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> Savage. Like, I don't even coach myself anymore. And I'm like a middle-of-the-pack recreational marathoner. Oh, oh my God. God. It's incredible. It and that she doesn't use that to make so much money coaching other people is crazier to me. Like, she just loves it. <laughs> I don't... You can, though. I mean, so I actually... I used to coach myself before I started coaching other people. And I quickly realized, like, I could do one or I could do the other and I can't do both effectively. Because <laughs> coaching yourself takes so much... Oh, so true. Introspection and discipline. And, like, there is... An, and I tell people this all the time. I'm like, there is a level of objectivity mm -hmm. most people will never be able to reach when it comes to coaching yourself. 100%. Like, something has to give in your life and you have to give up a little bit of the control somewhere. And I think for her, it's honestly like a lot of food prep and her husband takes care of a ton of that stuff and like travel arrangements, or whatever. But like all she does is coach and run, coach herself and run. And it's just like, fuck, it's, it's so cool. <laughs> that I have to, I'm going to have to listen to that. Um, it was on uh, but, so, David and Megan Roach's podcast, the Swap Running podcast. Okay. Uh, that, uh, the that. most recent podcast episode was, or two ago was with her and it was fantastic. Awesome. That's such an interesting, such a good point that you make about, because I tell this to my athletes too, like you're adults. I'm not your accountability coach, you know, yeah. because there are some people who, and I, I get this. They say, if I put money towards this, if I feel like there's somebody on the other end of the app checking what I'm doing, it does help me stay accountable. Yeah. And that I completely understand, it does. you know? But I tell my athletes this when my one of my new athletes join, you know, for one on one coaching. I'm like, look, you're an adult. I'm not going to chase you down the street. If you missed a run or missed a workout, like I expect that there's a completely valid reason, even if that reason is I just didn't feel like running. And that's for you to tell me about. And if we need to make some changes to your schedule, we will. I the end of story. Like, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Like, it's really nice because like I feel like especially with someone of your platform to say that because so many people, especially in the gym, like come and like, I want, I need someone to hold me accountable. And it's like, I mean, I'm happy to do that, but like, I'm not your, not your babysitter. Like you're an adult, as you said. And if there's a problem, we need to talk. Like I'm not babysitting you. <laughs> and I think so for a lot of athletes, helping them realize that, you know, we're not here to be taskmasters. Right? Like, I genuinely don't. If you took a week off of running, like, I don't care. I hope you're okay. But if you just said, hey, I want to take a week off, like, I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, we all go through stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm taking a week off just because, you know? Yeah. Um, but that it's sometimes, you know, it's it can be worse to try to push yourself through something physically, mentally, emotionally, when it, if you'd done 75% of what you were being asked to do, that would have been the right choice. Like, sometimes doing all of it, and again, talking talking about like that kind of type a I have to do it perfectly or else it doesn't count you know there are a lot of things in life where you are not going to be able to want to or need to give 100 percent, and that's completely okay yeah. it's about understanding you know basically picking and choosing your battles did you did you do something today that resembled what you were supposed to be doing and if you gave any more genuinely would have you know, put you in a hole, then you did the right thing, you know? Yeah. Maybe it was the right choice to get out the door and do a little bit more because you liked being outside for the fresh air and that made you feel better. That's also a valid choice sometimes. But, you know, to sit there and think, 
you know, if I'm not following my training schedule exactly, I've somehow failed. That's not the point of any of this. Yeah. I was trying to remember something clicked with me when you were on my podcast, you said something and that was what I was trying to remember, but I can't get to it. But it's just, yeah, like you, you need to be able to adapt is really what it comes down to. If you are out there and something goes wrong or hell, something goes really, really right. Like a lot of my training plans, some of this is the sport. Like I, uh, I train a couple marathoners, but I mostly train trail runners and like, it's, sometimes obscure man like i can't give you great paces because if you end up on an eight percent grade rather than a four percent grade which is not that much out of the difference on the trails it is like game changing if you're trying to train for like a flat versus a boston marathon right but like my my 20 mile run yesterday had 1600 feet of elevation and that wasn't that much whereas like the boston marathon what is it 800 overall or something no you you lose it's like i think you gain you gain eight but you lose 12 yeah so it's like it's not even <laughs> the entire space out there is, is different with the sport so some of this is the fact that i mostly train trail runners but also like i want you to lean into where you are on the day so i'll be like i don't program five strides i program like four to eight right and like you need to lean into where where you are if you have the extra one great if you don't also great (laughs) i want you to finish feeling like you had one or two more in the tank and cut it when you when you're at that point and same with i see this a lot with lifting too like everybody wants to know the exact amount of reps they need to do and i get it because humans like certainty it feels safe but some days you're going to do eight and some days you're going to do 11 and both of those are going to get a pretty similar adaptation if we're really honest because they're both in a range of difficulty that's going to produce muscle growth so you got to figure out where you are on the day this is really hard for a lot of people and kind of get back to the you know talking about mental health and depression is that you know obviously there are levels of how we're feeling right some days we're like fully functional, but not a hundred percent. And then all the way yeah. to just like literally can't get out of bed. Like this is debilitating. Um, and, and there are certain things I know where it feels like sometimes when I'm kind of on the precipice of like, I'm functional, but not feeling great. Sometimes it does, it does have like maybe just that one thing can actually trigger like, okay, now we're kind of off the cliff. Um, but I really don't want that thing that can initiate uh, a, a, you know, more of a, a larger episode, a more severe episode. I don't want, ever want that to be around somebody's paces or performance. And I see this a lot, people who are, you know, in training or even in racing will perform a certain way. And it wasn't up to the expectation that they had set for themselves and are devastated by it. And I understand wanting to achieve a goal, feeling like you could have done more and not like, I get that. Like there is, it's okay to be disappointed if you didn't achieve the goal you set out to. But I I mean, there are some people I've talked to who, when they don't achieve the goal they set out to achieve, even if it's like hitting certain paces in a speed workout, it's like world ending. And that's not okay. Like the relationship you have with those kinds of numbers, that's not a healthy relationship to have. Your worth as a person and as a runner has nothing to do with whether you ran 730s or 745s in your speed workout or whether you ran a five hour, five and a half hour marathon. Like 
you're so much more than that. And you can't put that much emphasis on something as stupid as numbers. True. Yeah. I very little to add to that because there's not much more to say. You are more than your performance. And said this before, like that can be a little different if you're making money doing this or whatever, but most of us aren't. And even then we should have another outlet, but you certainly aren't the only, you aren't only your numbers. And in fact, probably barely your numbers, but yeah, there's more to it. Learning to let go of that kind of stuff definitely, I think, improves one's relationship with the sport because you know, when you start running or even start any exercise routine, it's so easy to quantify, even lifting. You're like, I'll do this many sets at this weight. And you know, it's very like, oh, and then I'll get, you know, next week I'll add weight or, you know, this week I'll, I'll run more. Hey, I ran faster and you can quantify it. But then you get deeper and deeper and deeper and you realize that there is so much that's actually really like kind of gray area and like, loosey goosey and it's not about rigidly adhering to anything in any direction and sometimes letting go actually lets you unlock that next level yeah and i that makes me kind of realize who we're talking to sometimes too these like very driven people it's like yeah well but i still want to go faster i think maybe this will sync with them because this is what made a big difference for me at some point where by holding yourself to a number you're often limiting it in both ways when you go too slow you feel really bad about yourself but if you are always the person who runs your speed work at seven minute miles because that's what you do your speed work Someday you're going to be faster than that. And if you're always stuck on that number, you're never going to actually like feel what it's like to push yourself a little further. And with runners, I see this more with strength training. We're like, well, I do this weight because that's the weight I do. Well, you should go heavier because <laughs> you're stronger than that. But we see it across the board. Like if you get very stuck on the number, it can not only give you mental and like depressive struggles it can actually hold you back from performance as well you need to learn to lean into where you are in the day a little more let's talk a bit more about i would about that relationship to you know sometimes you you need to take time off whether or not your brain is telling you that you need to take time off um because i in the fall racing season talk a lot about running your big race, and then you should take recovery afterwards. Maybe it's a week or two of not running at all before you start running again, depending on the kind of race that you ran and and how intense it was and how long it was and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then going back to what I said about some people are incapable of taking rest days or days off of running for their mental health. But also the phenomenon of what we call the post-race blues, the post-marathon blues, this kind of big anti-climax, right? Um, 
it's funny. I don't get the post-race blues anymore. I think my brain is like, we're not going to get depressed about things that matter. We're going to get depressed about things that don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that feels right. <laughs> but this is this is very normal. So I think, you know, when we talk about there are there are people who will go through periods of their life experiencing very mild symptoms of depression without it never it never rises to the level of like a clinically diagnosed disorder. So for people who are experiencing the post-race blues, this kind of like listlessness, kind of like I feel kind of down and tired and like kind of like unmotivated and not really to do with my life and kind of blah. Um, that's just kind of a normal post-massive event of anything. Yeah. Like I'm sure you felt that way after you graduated from college or after you got married. You're like, now what? I did the big thing. Now what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this helped me a lot because I, I think I kind of wondered why. Because in the moment, it feels, <laughs> one, terrible. But two, it can spiral because one of the reasons that happens is because nothing really matters, right? And like that's actually kind of true in general. And you can take that really depressingly when you're depressed. Or you can take that really positively and be like, cool, we get to do cool things with our life. But if you end up in the spiral of like, nothing really matters, all you do is read Nietzsche and you end up like really sad. <laughs> this philosophy major. So like, yeah, it just ends up in this like really struggle place. Um, so I think one of the things that helped me to get out of this is to realize like, there's actually a really good reason for this. Your brain <laughs> runs on chemicals and when you are like building up towards this thing and you finally do this thing you get like so much dopamine <laughs> and just a lot of dopamine um and dopamine feels real great like it's a really nice thing to feel especially for those of us who are kind of a type a personality uh you're probably fairly sensitive to it anyway because uh, we're all a little more sensitive to certain brain chemicals than others and if you add this kind of type a really driven personality, dopamine's probably your drug, right? And this is one of the things that um, drives people, like pushes you. And the unpleasant part about dopamine is however the however big the rise is, that's also, you're going to have a very corresponding fall. And one thing that pushes a ton of dopamine is cocaine, right? So like when this is why it's so easy to get addicted because people do it and then they like get this huge like thousand times base level of dopamine push and then they have like a thousand time drop of dopamine level as well and like this is why it's really easy to get addicted marathon running not quite a thousand times your base level but still <laughs> pretty high and any big goal that you hit is going to be this big push and then this big drop and really you just got to kind of weather it out until your brain chemicals like get back to their normal sine wave because you just kicked a huge spike and you're going to have a huge fall and you need to let it come back on its own. There's not a lot you can do. You can help a little bit with nutrition because the way you produce dopamine is downstream of protein. So you need to get enough protein in order to be able to stimulate that. So the way we want to <laughs> often want to respond is to eat nothing but sugar. Um, that'll help you very quickly. It will not actually help like fix the spike though. So you need to make sure we're getting like enough food to foster this like good brain chemical balance. But 
should also just expect the fall, just like you were saying during the marathon. It's probably going to suck at some point in there. Probably going to suck a little bit afterwards, too. And that's okay. I want to talk about nutritional kind of behind, you know, biohacks. Not really, though, for supporting yourself <laughs> when you're not feeling super awesome mentally. But I also want to talk about, talk about giving yourself those little dopamine hits. I know for a lot of people, being able to check the thing off their list is a really like, a little dopamine hit. And that's, I think, a, a another reason to have a really structured post-race recovery period. Even if the first week of your post-race recovery looks like rest and or 20 minute walk, like if you can just, if you can be like, I did that today, I, I achieved my goal for today. Even if your goal was to rest, being able to literally cross that off your list and say, I achieved my goal today, as silly as that sounds, it actually works. It does. It feels good. Yeah. It's dumb that it works, but it works. Yeah. The human brain is deeply complicated and also real stupid. (laughs) This is why also people like sign up for marathons immediately after having run. Like they're still actively sore for the marathon. Like I signed up for my next marathon. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Chasing, chasing that next hit. (laughs) Uh, There's someone I follow on TikTok and my marketing and they signed up like... They're doing New York, so they're going soon. And they signed up for another marathon, like in the middle of their long run peak, because they were so stoked about it. And I'm just like, like on their phone in the middle of a run. And I'm just like, this is so silly. This is how this is how we are. It makes so much sense, but it's insane. So um, let's talk about ways that we can support or ways that different different nutritional macronutrients and nutritional strategies can either hinder or help how we're feeling. Because um, I agree with you. Sometimes when you're feeling really down, I mean, bring on the sugar, right? The, the carbs, that's all we want to do is just sit on the couch and eat straight carbohydrate. Um, and we are not anti-carb around here, but no. there is a time and a place for certain quantities of carbohydrates in your life. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give a couple caveats here. One, I'm not a dietitian. Um, I'm really good at food. I've done very good things with food. I have studied all of this a lot. Um, (laughs) So, like, I have a lot of confidence talking about it, but none of this is, like, dietary advice. And, in fact, for that matter, I would say that none of this is ever, like, no podcast should ever give you advice on medical things anyway. You should go, like, talk to a human. <laughs> like, I have this even... If anybody's listened to my show all the way through, if they've made it to the very end, past the end credits music, there is yeah. a this is not medical advice disclaimer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Same on mine. And honestly, like, even, like, the better doctors and dietitians on Instagram are still, like, I am a doctor. I'm not your doctor, right? So, like, even if I were, this still isn't advice. Um... That said, I've spent a lot of time on this stuff, both for myself and clients, and I think the answer in general of any good thing is it depends um, with food. And how we support good brain health tends to be how we support like good bodily health in general, right? Like one of the things we often don't get enough of as endurance athletes and just people who live in the U.S., I'm assuming most of your audience is from the U.S., is just not quite enough protein a lot of the time. We talk about it a lot. We don't get a lot of it (laughs) because we prioritize other stuff. And it's kind of expensive. And it's just a little tough, right? Like, protein is the expensive part of a meal, Um, be it, like, 
even if we're talking you know, like a vegan protein, like tofu takes a while to per- ferment. It's a lot, it's a lot harder to like, it's, it's a lot harder than just getting oil out of a soybean. So they tend to be, soy oil is cheaper, right? So if we look at protein, it's a little pricier. Um, so we often don't get it quite enough of it. Protein is made of a bunch of amino acids. One of them is called tyrosine and tyrosine is a precursor to dopamine. And if you don't get enough tyrosine, you can't make dopamine. It doesn't matter how much your body wants to. It doesn't matter how much of a good mental space you're in. You will not make it. <laughs> and then dopamine's also your like precursor to adrenaline. So that like good spike that you get and excitement during your like hard push uh, sprint repeats, you're not going to get that either. So we need to get some throughout our day. It should probably be a little bit spread out. <laughs> and like in some doses, um, as someone who lost my original like 50 pounds doing a one meal a day diet at the end of the day, not a fan of that. I think that was a thing that like created a lot of problems for me and a binge eating disorder. So I don't recommend that mechanism. I recommend like a few meals throughout your day, two, four. And I will say research mm-hmm. has supported that there is no difference in body composition changes whether you do time-bounded eating, i.e. intermittent fasting, yep. or you spread your meals out throughout the day. Absolutely true. And this was, I mean, the, it, 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 they, they did, like, the science is in. Yeah. It's, it's not about the intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. It may help you eat less if eating more than you need to be eating is an issue, but it's not about the intermittent fasting yeah. or the one meal a day. The timing is not the magic. Yeah, and the one study that should, the one person who has seemed to show some actual benefits to it um, outside of just the calorie restriction, his name is Walter Longo, and you have to front load it. So, and even then, it was still like a ten to twelve hour window. So it's not this like one meal a day, but even then, it was like six to like four p.m which is not how most people are doing it. So if you are going to talk about intermittent fasting being a positive, it is front-loaded and early in your day, and then you're probably done eating before you want to be done eating because you can't have dinner with your family, right? So, like, it's not a... Like, doing it the way that seems to provide any extra benefit is, like, socially... You turn into a social pariah, like, more than you would doing keto, which I'm also not a fan of because I've done it, and it sucks. So I have too. Yeah, it does suck. It's not, not sustainable. No, not no. great. Still better than the, like, ultra-low-fat diet I tried once that was, like, sub-10% fat. That, like, tanked my hormones, destroyed me, and um, really unhealthy. So, like, thankfully, we don't have to choose keto or ultra-low-fat. We can just eat, like, a healthy, balanced diet. A balance, <laughs> yeah. Which, which is tough sometimes when you are going through some real yeah. emotional, mental shit. It is really hard sometimes to be like, "What do you mean I have to eat a balanced <laughs> meal? I can barely feed myself anything." Yeah, I will say that one of the things that we know some things about nutrition. Not a lot, very honestly. Anybody who says that they have it locked down is lying to you, or like experiencing a lot of like Dunning Kruger effect. The human body is very com- complicated. We just don't understand the metabolism very well. We don't understand why, like, some people seem to do really well on a keto diet for decades, whereas other people, like, seem to do really well on, like, a high-carb diet is probably because those people are, like, <laughs> genetic outliers, very honestly. But still, it's confusing. That said, like, some of the stuff we understand for sure is you need enough protein or else you fall apart. You need a base level of fat or else you fall apart. Carbohydrates help like power performance. And then 
you need to get micronutrients somewhere, <laughs> be that like through organ meats or vegetables or whatever have you. Like if you don't get enough <laughs> magnesium and like vitamin A and all these things, you don't tend to do very well. And the best way to do that is just eating a bunch of different stuff because <laughs> it's easier. Like, yeah. And if we're... And that's, t I mean... Oh, no, go God, ahead. I was just going to say, and if we're like looking at brain health, like all of these like vitamins and minerals and stuff tend to help a lot. Like if for no other reason than you are an athlete and if you have something like anemia that like drains your energy and makes you unable to run and like or like hypocalcemia where you're like low in calcium and you end up with fractures and problems and other things like then you can't do your favorite activity and you're more likely to get depressed right so even if we want to like take this down to bare bones getting a basic complement of your vitamins and minerals just helps you do stuff that helps you stay not depressed but there's more to it as well and obviously there are protocols you know huge benefits from being on medication for some people to deal with their depression or anxiety or other issues and seeing a therapist if they can afford one and they find one who works with them that's the other tough thing too like oh just go see a therapist but like have you been to therapy not all therapists are created equal <laughs> yeah and not all therapists like fit everyone absolutely right yeah. or take your insurance maybe they did take your insurance and i don't take your insurance anymore you're only allowed to see them 10 times in one year and then oh the medication they want to put you on actually is out of pocket because it's not yeah it's yeah. I mean, like it's you a complicated just switch jobs and then they don't cover you anymore yeah no i feel you i'm uh it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> and so obviously it's not to say that like oh if you just eat the right food and find the right balance of training everything will be solved it's not what we're saying here like running and exercise can and should fit into your life just the way that a balanced diet should just like everything else that you need to stay on top of your mental health like it all has a place and there might be situations where you do rely more heavily on therapy and or medication but then there are some situations where things are going really well and maybe just tweaking that diet you know making sure you're getting your micronutrients in and training appropriately like that's all you need and I think it's okay to be in either space it's just recognizing where you are and what you need at that time like be honest with yourself about how you're feeling even if what you're feeling is really bad absolutely and I would say like this is one of the things with like carbohydrates as well you crave carbs because they help you produce serotonin right like that's one of the reasons there's a couple reasons that I actually do want to get into because there was a study recently that I thought was like misassessed by someone at the Washington Post and it's actually like much simpler than they made it like it's really easy but carbs like help you produce serotonin so if you're kind of sad your your body wants you to get some carbs so that you produce a little more serotonin and great <laughs> sometimes the answer might actually be a pizza like i say this to, to people like this shouldn't be your only coping strategy but sometimes the answer is just a couple slices of pizza and great <laughs> i think that's awesome um and then the other thing with carbohydrate is they drop cortisol like because when you consume carbohydrates, it raises insulin, which we have like demonized to death, which we shouldn't. 
it is a hormone that you would literally die without. So, like... People do. Mm -hmm. Type 1 diabetics. 100% no insulin. regularly. So, like, we need to have insulin. And it has a purpose. If it's high all the time, then that's a problem. But if you're just producing some and it comes back down to normal levels and you're like, glucose and insulin levels are normal, insulin's great. So, when you have carbohydrates... It raises your insulin, and when your insulin's up, your cortisol drops. And if you're really stressed out, <laughs> you're going to crave carbs because you're going to drop your cortisol. And because of most people's history and their dietary choices and everything, a lot of the times we're going to crave things like candy because that is a very quick dump of carbohydrates, and it is probably going to get a faster insulin spike. But they did a study which is way more complicated than this, but basically they showed that if you eat a piece of fruit, you're less stressed out, which, no shit, there's a lot of carbohydrates in fruit, and it spikes your insulin, and then it comes back down, and we can train ourselves to have some carbohydrate that actually helps us without being quite so aggressive on, on the health spectrum. Um, I will often tell people, like no matter what realm of coaching like if you're having a craving for carbs i think that's great like you're, we have a few options don't bring the bag to, to you is an option like put some in a bowl or like start with something that you deem healthier whatever that might mean for you for me it's often a banana because i'm kind of low on potassium a lot of the time anyway so i'll eat the banana and see if that helps and if not then i might eat some chips but like i start with something else and like create that little bit of a gap um, and again, you're an adult, just know what all these things do to you. I know that I have no off switch for ice cream, so I don't keep it in my house, but I'm allowed to get it whenever. Cause of course I am. I have a car. I can go to the store. It's not like I can't. So if I want some, I go to the store and then I eat it and back to the no off switch. It's usually gone fairly quickly and I just don't buy it again for a very long time. And that's kind of where, where we can like find our little separations and helps and knowing yourself. And again, you're an adult. You get to choose these things. And just they all have consequences and you got to be willing to deal with them. And part of the job of a coach is to help teach you what those consequences might be. Just to help steer you into making choices that are right, hopefully right for you in that any given phase of training and going yeah. back to kind of the, the training piece as we, as we wrap this all up and, you know, the, I agree with you about the word empower, you know, I don't necessarily like, like I'm not, yeah. I'm not giving the power, like here's the, here's some power. Like I'm going to, you know, now I've been withholding, but now I'm going <laughs> to give it to you. Um, glad someone else feels but that way. more, you know, I see that sometimes, you know, with clients and every client is different. And I genuinely mean that when I'm working with my clients one-on-one, -on -one, you know, there are going to be weeks where just was a crappy week of training or the workout, they bombed it. And one of the, the huge thing, the long run just felt bad. And one of the huge things that I always work with my clients is like understanding the context in which the run or the workout took place. And so, you know, to be like, Hey, how are your, how's your sleep? How's your stress levels? What was your feeling like? Like, let's put this in context. What was the weather like? And then to have 
clients say to me in workout notes, like, yeah, this workout was a total piece of crap, but I know why. I know why, because X, Y, Z is happening. And I just came back from a week of work travel and my kid's sick and the dog threw up and all this stuff. And so one of the things I love to do is I always like to give, you know, when we have time and when it makes sense, I always like to give them a mulligan. We just do the same thing the next week or the following week, but like, let's do, let's do it again. Let's just do it again. Cause I, 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 I want them to feel like that obviously I never want to set training. That's too challenging for any client, but I know, especially when we're working towards big goals, it's helpful to have those process wins along the way. So if we can take something where whatever the workout was, didn't go the way that it was supposed to. And then the next week I'll be like, just do it. Just do again, total do over. And they nail it. And it's like the best feeling in the world, right? Because they get them, give themselves a huge confidence boost. They get to see in real time the effects that the context the workout takes place in has on their performance. And they get to move on and say, hey, guess what? Like I can do hard things and I'm a human being. Yeah, I love that. I love the mulligan. That's a great thing. I do that. I've never called it that. That's absolutely what it is, though. I love that do over <laughs> yeah it's like well guess what next wednesday workout's going to be the same thing because you still have five weeks so we have time so go <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for being here today i feel like we have to probably let the people go yeah probably um, time. <laughs> tell us how we can find and follow and work with you if anybody's interested in learning more oh god yeah that's probably a long list of things um on most things i am will.c.france and that'll be instagram and tiktok and i think twitter's that but without the periods uh i have a facebook group that if you're on facebook you should join that is trail and ultra running nutrition um and my website's willfrance.com and yeah that'll that has an option to like fill out a a sheet and then i can shoot you a text but i think for most people i put a ton of free stuff into that Facebook group and that's where you should go if you're on Facebook and if you want any of that free stuff and you're not on Facebook for very understandable reasons reach me reach out to me some somewhere else and I'll get it to you <laughs> I feel like that's I mean as somebody who makes their living off of social media like I'm kind of waiting for whatever the next big thing is going to be because more and more recently there have been people who are like i'm not on facebook mm -hmm. do you have another way of them like uh-oh it's coming if i didn't have to be on facebook for work i genuinely I, I wouldn't use it i was off it for three years and then i opened a business and i got back on and i'm not gonna like down talk it too much like i'm sure you have a very complicated relationship with it as well like it has, has allowed me to reach so many people and help so many people and like do really good things but that said it is still a short for my mental health on a daily basis and it's a really like tough line to cut yeah I don't even do I mean so actively on Facebook uh I just have groups like everything on on my Facebook page yeah. is just cross-posted from Instagram like it's just all I'm all focused on Instagram yeah, I so that. All in. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for being here today and talking about this uh hard topic sometimes I think it's important that we talk about it people understand that they're not alone and that if they need somebody to talk to, that there's always somebody just a, a DM away. Yeah. Um, maybe not us. I mean, you know, I'm always, I'm, I do want to talk to people who need help, you know, but if you're obviously in mental health crisis, I would recommend reaching out to um, 
somebody in your life and, and talking to them more about what you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say like on the other end, people's lives are kind of hard and like have a little bit of grace, like before you post that shitty thing. Like if you're about to do that, maybe take a second and think about it twice. And then if you see someone in your life who's kind of struggling, like a text of, hey, everything good can go a really long way, like surprisingly far. Mm -hmm. We are social creatures. We are social animals. Uh, and I think it's easy to forget that sometimes. Yeah. Especially those of us who are kind of introverted and weird. Like it's... Right. <laughs> It's it's easy to separate a little bit on the day to day, and then suddenly you're in a hole, and you're like, oh yeah, it's because I haven't talked to a human in a while. <laughs> like yeah. I haven't talked to a little person in days. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that can definitely cause some oh. issues. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks, Elizabeth. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.